and this concept that educators are, are truly designers. We design the classrooms, the experiences, the lessons, the assessments that shape how our students understand themselves and how they understand their role within their community and, of course, the futures that they, they want to have. You're listening. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to the Learning Futures. The Learning Futures. The Learning Futures podcast. You are listening to the Learning Futures podcast. Welcome to the Learning Futures podcast. I'm your host, Ron Baghetto. On this show, we explore big ideas, key issues, and questions facing education now and into the future moving from what currently is to what could and should be, including considering serendipities and setbacks along the way. I'm honored today to be joined by Laura McBain. Laura, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Ron, thank you so much for having me. I am a big fan of this podcast. Um, I am the co-director of the Stanford K-12 Lab um, at the Stanford D School. And my background is I have been a lifelong educator for the last 20 or so years, serving as a teacher, a principal, and the develop of a graduate school program that's focused on, on equity, project-based learning, and really thinking about what it could be the futures of school and learning. That's great. And can you tell us a little bit more about your journey? I think you've had some interesting work experiences. And so maybe even a little bit more about the journey that has um, resulted in you now being at the D School. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great starting question because I work in the field of design. And as the co-director of the K-12 Lab, we spend a lot of time thinking about how we can design equitable experiments in education, how we work with educators, and how we can share resources. And I think now, as I look back, I can tell you there was no way I would have imagined or considered myself a designer or even a futurist when I started teaching oh so long ago in a classroom in Chula Vista. And so I started my career actually in education as a substitute teacher. I spent a year substituting um, in middle schools and high schools, thinking about like, how do I help students? And if anyone has been a substitute teacher, you know there is no better way to understand education than to jump into a, class, a different classroom every single day and trying to navigate the needs of young people and the experiences that the, the teacher has put forth. And so, you know, my journey started with that, you know, being a substitute teacher, walking into a classroom, not having a lesson plan, and then trying to figure out what am I going to do with these 60 minutes when there's no plan in front of me. And so that that moment or that those experiences really propelled me, my thinking eventually into thinking about this idea of design and this concept that educators are, are truly designers. We design the classrooms, the experiences, the lessons, the assessments that shape how our students understand themselves and how they understand their role within their community and, of course, the futures that they, they want to have. And so the concept of design for me I really stumbled into design. It wasn't something that I went to school for. Uh, it wasn't something I went to a quick training on and then considered myself a designer. It was the ongoing pursuits of thinking about how do I make decisions and how do I really put together and create 
moments where people feel seen and heard and welcomed. And so I've kind of always used that lens, um, whether I was teaching in Chula Vista um, for students who are emerging bilingual students, or when I was working at High Tech High, um, where I worked for about 15 years, helping educators and communities of practice around the world think about how they can design for the needs of project-based learning. And so, you know, this is a long-winded answer of my journey, Ron, but really it's this question of like my career is really around like how can we as educators be of service to the young people um, that are put into our care and what can we let go of and what can we create that creates more equitable futures? Yeah, I love that. And I, I love that you started as a substitute. It's hard to imagine anything more complex and uncertain <laughs> than being a substitute and kind of stepping into that uncertainty and leaning into it and kind of having to be a designer on the fly. So it's great to hear that you were able to persist um, through substitute teaching because that is so challenging and and find a way into leveraging those experiences and in becoming a designer in education. If you could tell us a little bit about, you know, what you see as one of the key or most pressing educational questions or issues that you're currently working on and give us a little bit of background on that work and what kinds of projects you're working on to address that that question or issue. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm working on a lot of different fronts. Um, you know, my role at our K-12 lab is really thinking about what's on the frontier. What are the experiments that we can start working on now that have a really, I would say, generational impact on education? One of the, I think, common questions in education that comes up is how do we imagine or how can we reshape or redesign education to serve more young people? And that's a big question. It's a really big question. And it feels a little bit inoperable, like a little bit hard to crack. And so, you know, a lot of the approach before I get into the what is really about where do we notice opportunities that will have an op that will have the potential to really have lasting impact on the lives of young people and with the lives of young people. And so we kind of take on and I take on this really experimental approach. What's possible? What can we play with? that feels safe and at the same time has this like bold way of thinking. And so, you know, my work is really focused on a couple different areas right now, um, which I love the name of your podcast. One of the areas that I'm currently exploring and experimenting on is the possibilities of educator as futurist. Futures thinking is a discipline. It's a strategy. It's a mindset. Um, it's taught at universities. There are futurists at Microsoft and Google and folks think about themselves of how they can think about their as a futurist. And one of the concepts that I'm playing with now and working with educators and leaders is helping young people as well as leaders think about how they shape the future, not merely being prepared for it. And so we are working currently with educators and leaders around understanding this idea of futures thinking, future strategies, including sense making this idea of anticipatory design, this question of long-term thinking, emergent narratives, and really thinking about different ways of thinking about strategy. These are all really heady things, but how do we make them more accessible, these capacities to help us think long-term? And how do we really think about these capacities in the long-term that help our young people get to futures? That's just one of them. Um, and that's a really fun one because it allows us to play with folks um, who are working in the Afrofuturist space um, there are folks that we work with that are thinking about arts 
And there's a lot of opportunity to kind of create some really experiential um, experiences with young people to help them think about how they're going to shape the world that they want to inherit and the futures that could possibly exist. That's one of them. Um, and then I have a, a few more as well that we could dive into. Excellent. Yeah. And we definitely want to hear about those. Something I've heard you say a couple times today, and I think our listeners may be interested in hearing more about this, because you don't really hear the word experiment and experimentation too much in education. I mean, sometimes you hear about these kind of grand experiments, but the idea of experimentation and thinking about helping young people shape their own futures, can you help us understand what that looks like in practice? What does it mean to engage in these kinds of experiments? Yeah. I mean, I think this is a moment, you know, right now, particularly in education, where this idea of prototyping, the idea of trying lots of things that may not work, is actually at a paramount. Um, this past summer, for example, we worked with 36 schools from around the country to help them think about what does the day in the life look like in the middle of a global pandemic, right? This is a moment where experimentation is probably more needed than anything else. Because one time that we've noticed particularly is that when we create schools and myself as a, as a principal, we often create a schedule for the year. And then we run with that schedule, you know, through and through for maybe a decade, if not longer than that. And this past year has taught us that like having a linear idea of like what's going to happen doesn't actually serve the needs of our young people. And so what we've been doing a lot is helping people think about, first off, what's the world that's that could become? Like, what is the world that's happening, particularly around the idea of space and time and education, how this idea that we're learning everywhere? The second idea, of course, of like technology being ubiquitous. What does the day in the life of school look like in this world? And so what we've been doing is having people prototype, essentially, like what does a parent-teacher conference look like when everyone has access to technology that it could be in any place of the world? And so what we're trying to have folks to do is think about what's possible by experimenting with a lot of different ways of how they create something simple, like this idea of a parent-teacher conference or you know, a caring adult working with a young person or internships. So we're taking some grounded ideas, but propelling them into the future. And while we're propelling them into this time traveling piece, it allows us to create prototypes of what that could look like. And those prototypes become an opportunity for people to think about not only what biases they still hold on to, but then what they could start doing now. Because when we think about our current state of education, it's hard to make a dent. There's so many barriers. But one of the things we try to think about is this idea of prototyping, parallel prototyping, lots of ideas, not finding the one solution and sticking to it for a long time. What we want to be able to do, and that's, this is a challenge in education, is we need to find small ways to experiment, small projects, small ideas that allow us to try on a couple different ways of being and ways of doing so that we can figure out how we get it right. And I think I'll say that a lot of the experimentation that we're seeing in the schools that we're working with um, is really about assessing and really understanding the needs of their community. Because one thing about experimentation um, and design is that context really matters. It's not about putting a solution that we think works and dropping it in. It's about communities coming together, discovering the needs that are not being met, and then finding lots of ways to solve it. So yeah, we've been playing a lot of time and really it's R&D, but it also is like deep empathy work as well. 
Yeah, that's so interesting. I think such a interesting breath of fresh air to think about experimentation and prototyping and developing multiple potential prototypes and solutions and not necessarily fixing on one. I think that's such a different mindset and shift um, in, for educators and anyone who's been associated with education, including students and educators themselves. So how do you help cultivate this experimental prototyping mindset? And what are some of the challenges, particularly around thinking about how failure is often something that people tend to try to avoid um, in school, that it's kind of a scary thing. There's so much uncertainty. And then there are these inherited components of schooling, like the parent-teacher conference, for example, as you were mentioning, like this is the way we've always done things. So you know, tinkering with that can be really disruptive in some ways. So how do you help folks along and kind of cultivate that mindset? And what do you see as some of the barriers and opportunities in doing that? Well, and I think this is something that I think is really challenging, particularly as it connects back to failure, is that one of the things that we often do is we want our work to be beautiful and perfect. Like that's when this like perfectionism right at the start like, I've got this idea. I'm going to put the slide deck together. I'm going to put the website together. I'm going to get the app. And then I put it into the world and hope it's going to work. And I think one of the things that we really want to do um, in education that we don't do enough of is like start really small. Like the idea of a prototype is actually, it could just be a piece of paper that shows the day in the life with pictures and images. That's a prototype that doesn't take a whole lot of investment that allows people to poke at it and pull it apart because it's not finished. And it actually helps us reveal some of the assumptions that we hold. And so part of cultivating what you're talking about, this experimentation or open to failure or new ideas is allowing prototypes that we're creating to be small, to be scrappy, that don't actually require massive amounts of investment right at the start, because that allows us to see what's what's sticking and what's not. Um, and so part of it is allowing people to play with like early, often, you know, this idea of you're failing early, you're trying small things to see what's sticking. And we can do that in education, right? But we often sp spend a lot of time thinking about like, you know, at, you know, one of my, a lot of my experience has been working with like districts. And one of the big initiatives, for example, is like, let's all do project-based learning. And I am a huge project-based learning and design thinking advocate, um, no surprise. Um, but one of the challenges that we have is I will often encounter a lot of districts or communities say we are all doing it for the next year. And while that is like can be bold, the challenge is how do you actually know what it looks like in your community? And so a lot of things that I think you're getting at, um, Ron, is idea of like, what's the hunch of the idea? And how can you start with like two people, three people? Um, in design, we call it hacking, essentially. It's like, how can you start really small and scrappy with a few people to learn, but then also cultivate like a community with you as you're building it? And I think that's the, that's the power, I guess you will, of design and prototyping is building and testing with people that allows people to not only have some investment of what you're building, but also really give uh, feedback on whether it's working in the right ways. Yeah, I really like that. And I think it is a kind of empowering way and remove some of the fear and, and the risk and the sense of overwhelm. You know, educators are constantly being asked to do things. There are certain kind of non-negotiables and folks feel overwhelmed. But the idea of tinkering and kind of making that 
tailored to a particular community and population of students that you're working with to really support their learning now and into the future is a really powerful idea. It might help our listeners, I think, to maybe unpack a couple of the other projects you're working on, or maybe even follow an idea. Like, how does it start out where you might have just a handful of people or even two people working on something? And then how does that get shared out in the community and tested and adopted? Are there any examples of projects or other projects that you've been working on that kind of show this trajectory from going small and actually turning into something that makes a change? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Where, where could, what's the possibility of this experimentation? And I'll share a little bit about um, a new project that we're actually about to launch um, called REP. And REP stands for Reputation Repair, but it also stands for Student-Facing Magazine um, around emerging technology that our lab has been creating. So about a year and a half ago, you know, we looked back and we looked forward, essentially, and we think, what are the most disruptive potentials to education. And not surprising, we, you know, one of the volcanoes, we had this huge map, we mapped education, and we had all these like water flows, and we just mapped all the different aspects of education. And one of the volcanoes, underground volcanoes, if you will, was this concept of emerging technology, like artificial intelligence, blockchain, synthetic biovascular technology, these, these concepts that, you know, are radically changing our world. But also in education, we kind of come to the, we're kind of at the back end of, we receive them and then we're expected to kind of like help our young people receive and react to them, not necessarily design them. And so we spent a lot of time um, kind of experimenting. How do we even introduce the concept of blockchain, artificial intelligence to educators in a way that doesn't feel, that's not tech heavy, like at all, um, that's playful. And it helps people understand their role as technologists, as designers of technology. And so we spent about, I don't know, probably six months or so, like creating workshops, you know, and we created a card deck. We have a bot exercise that my colleague, um, Arian Mogos, has designed that helps young people design their own uh, bots, a personalized um, artificial intelligence bot for themselves. And these are scrappy. They're small. People can take them. They can download them. Um, And then about almost a year ago, uh, we were sitting and then, you know, obviously all of a sudden we were sent home and working from home in a global pandemic. And we realized that like, whoa, like we can't lead workshops. We could, but the whole point of our, our work was to do without tech, like get people to play in an analog way on emerging technology. And that wasn't going to work during COVID. It just wasn't going to work. And so we shifted and we pivoted. We're like, oh, what if we created a magazine, a student-facing magazine that young people and educators can use to help them understand emerging technologies, as well as understand their role as a designer and shaper of emerging technologies. And so, I mean, start to finish, this project started with a hunch about what we think is, what is going to be a lever that our young people need to understand in education, how it can impact us. How do we get educators not just receiving this content, but being in a position to shape it and help their students be the shapers of the future. And we landed with essentially a completely analog, playful, almost highlights edition, I don't know if you remember highlights, the magazine, Um, but a highlights version of emerging technologies that um, we are in the process of producing. Our first edition will come out probably in the next six weeks and it'll be focused on AI assistance. Um, We've got an issue on blockchain. 
But this magazine is fully analog. It's for students and educators, but it really allows them to kind of start thinking of themselves as, as emerging technologists, as um, designers. And so this through line, particularly on emerging tech, was with community, right? We worked with educators. We worked with young people throughout the whole process to see what's sticking. And we realized in that work that it wasn't just going to be about the technology teacher, but all the teachers having access to this. So that's kind of a long-winded story about like what it could look like with a very specific content. Um, and then, of course, I have some other examples of like working, starting with the district and thinking about some issues that they're using, um, they're focusing on and how they brought their communities together. Yeah, that's really exciting. I love the throwback to uh, Highlight Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> and so will that be available for the public? Is there, is that, mm-hmm. we could drop it in the show notes, but how are you launching that and who has access to that? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be completely, um, there'll be a website, people will be able to just download um, an issue. Um, yeah, so there'll be, it'll be launched pretty soon. And we'll share out the, the link as it goes. We've got some articles um, about the work as well. But yeah, we're happy to share the resources when they get launched out to the world. But yes, anyone can use them. Um, people can download an issue, we might even put them on an iPad so that you know, parents can use it with their young people. Um, and it's really a self-facilitated guide. So young people can do it on their own as well. Yeah, that's great. And yeah, we'd love to hear more about this uh, project with the district to try to imagine what that would look like at a district level. Yeah. So if you want to share a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, again, thinking about this question as design as service and this summer, you know, and we've always, I mean, my background is always thinking about how do I support educators and the young people in their, in their charge. And so you know, this past summer, we spent, I don't know, three months really working. And we're currently working with 10 districts now in a, a project with um, with 10 districts in the state of California, because they're in the midst of the design work, if you will. Um, and the works, the workshop we did this summer was really taking design teams, diverse design teams, meaning, you know, teachers, students, parents, community members um, on a journey of design to help uncover what those needs are. And so we spent some time like having them try and travel to the future. Like what is the future of your community? How can you like think boldly? Then we spent some time thinking about how they can go out into um, their communities and thinking about who needs to be heard now that hasn't been heard, whose voices have been most marginalized or underinvested in within their community and how they amplify that understanding. So folks went out into the community and did field work, you know, really trying to capture the voices of, of how they can do this. And then um, they started prototyping, like, well, what is what might a schedule look like? How do we reimagine what community engagement looks like? And so they started on lots of different prototypes. The district, one of a couple of districts that we worked with, I mean, they probably had 20 prototypes of their schedule, for example, of like trying to figure it out. Um, and then they've landed in these really interesting spaces not around like, oh, here is the final solution, but what that has done um, by working with communities and diverse design teams is that it allows people to be part of the process, right? They're part of the design process. And they realize that as they're prototyping, they let go of the one solution that they think it is and are open to the possibility of lots of solutions, possible solutions, And so we see a lot of examples, um, you know, right now the districts we're working with are thinking about homelessness, intergenerational poverty, um, expanding access to maker education. And so these topics that they're doing 
using the design process is kind of doing two things. One, it's like focusing on like, what's the issue they think they need to solve while also simultaneously building like the community of people that are invested in trying to solve it together. And so it really has like a twofer, right? It's really about bringing people together, uncovering these hidden needs and working them together to think about what can they start doing now? What's the short-term thing they can start doing tomorrow versus what they can do in the long-term? Yeah, I, what I really find interesting and novel about the work you're doing is how it just it, it goes beyond the walls of the classroom. It's situated in communities. It's very inclusive. You're bringing voices to the table that often aren't heard, and you're tackling really complex issues that are you know, meaningful to the community and that those problems get to be identified by anyone from students to community members to teachers to parents to family members, and that you're approaching this in a way that really empowers people to be, like you mentioned, designers of their own futures, to shape their own future, which I think is really novel. And so we definitely want to have more links to the work you're doing so we can learn more about that. And given that this is a Learning Futures podcast, uh, what we'd like to invite our guests to do is to imagine if you were to continue this work where you're really empowering young people to become designers of their own future and their own lives and their own learning. What are some of the possible futures that that might emerge from this? What do you see as a good future, a potentially bad future, and most importantly, a beautiful future? I mean, that's a great question. And I think I think in terms of, you know, we, we often talk in, in futures thinking of like what's possible, plausible, and preferable. Um, and there's never a binary. I mean, I think that's one of the things, good versus bad. Um, is really important. I think part of like understanding what's possible or looking back is the assumption that there was a singular past. There were histories, not a history. And I think one of the things we're playing with, particularly of having people, um, when we think about what's possible, there's a real opportunity to look back and uncover the histories and the stories that haven't been highlighted. Because in order to think about what a more preferable, more equitable futures, right, the possibilities of futures, um, it is really looking doubly back of like what histories have been not seen. And so part of on this journey is looking backwards, talking to folks and understanding what's been hidden and not amplified, not amplified and what could be told. And then I think, you know, with respect to like thinking about students as shapers, right? Students as shapers of their futures. I think there is two things there. One is this idea of really letting go of one of the things that we often say in education, which I think is, I understand the concept, the idea of we're going to prepare students for the future. And it, it feels very in service because we want to prepare them to thrive individually. But I think one of the dispositional shifts that we need to make in that statement of preparing, there is a predictability that I know the skills that you will need in order to thrive in that future. And it's in service of the young person. And at the same time, it actually has a predictive element to it. And so when we talk about shaping, helping young people be the shapers of the futures, that actually has a subtle difference around what we think is possible for our young people, which is around agency. And how do I actually give, how do I help them cultivate the skills and the capacities and the disposition to shape multiple futures for themselves? And that as design is something, again, for me as a designer, it's like, oh, that's parallel prototyping, lots of paths forward. And I think there's a dispositional shift that we can think about of like, how do we actually move beyond this is the path our young people are on to there are multiple paths that might unfold. 
for our young people. We would have never, I mean, there are probably some conversations about this global pandemic. Maybe we could have predicted it, maybe we didn't, but we don't know how their futures are going to unfold. And yet we design systems as if we know how their future will. And so I think part of the the provocation that you're making here around like futures or futurists is this possibility uh, of what's possible, of really letting go of like what we think a young person needs, but really discovering where they are now and their own needs and capacities and allowing them to see themselves as shapers, not just receiving the future or the future happening to them, but really putting themselves in the driver's seat. And if we can start making that subtle shift, then it actually opens up a lot of possibilities. If I see my young person as a shaper of the future, that means I see them all as entrepreneurs. I see them all as the capacity to build new companies. I see them as the as community service agents, as, as government designers, you know, lots of possibilities, not just one. And so I think that to me is like this question of like, if we can look back and understand the histories, we can also look forward to thinking about the spectrum of possibilities. And then there's an interesting piece of when we're able to do that time travel and think about these preferable plausible or possible futures, we're actually able then to interrogate these mindsets and dispositions that we're, that we're sitting on that are actually keeping us in the same place, in the same time travel trajectory, if you will. And so our ability to kind of, I would say, prototype these possible futures not only gives us the possibility and brings bold imagination to education, and it also, I think, as part of the reflection process, allows us to see What's what's stopping us from making that happen? Yeah, I think, you know, what this is highlighting to me, and it's something I've thought about a lot, is this tension that we often experience in education and this, and this fallacy, if you will, that you kind of highlighted that we operate as if we know what the future will be um, and at some level deeply know that the future is unknowable, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So, and then that coupled with what I call like this educational promissory note that you're going to do this now and someday it might be meaningful. So I think when you put those two things together, it kind of falls flat and it's not very compelling for young people. I think the idea of, and I, I really like the idea of how you talk about really understanding the histories that have led us to these present moments and understanding the present so that we can, and the past, so that we can imagine new possibilities. And most importantly, to give students experience um, recognizing and exercising their own agency so they can believe in themselves and believe in the possibility of shaping their future and not have to kind of put it off into some unknowable future that someday I'll get a chance to actually identify a problem that matters to me and try to do something about it but you're creating these experiences now and kind of disrupting that really problematic kind of artificial feeling around education that we really don't have a rationale for why do you need to know this right now, other than maybe someday you're going to use it down the road. Right. And I think going back to the experimentation, then that allows for experimentation, because if I know my young people are the shapers of the future, then I should start helping them give opportunity to shape right now right? What are they doing now to shape their lives and the communities in which they're in? That means we start now. And that ele- that requires them an experience that requires a really kind of bold experimentation of like, oh, they better get out into the field. Like, how can they start doing it now to build those capacities and those skills, which connects back to 
you know, we started, which is this real world kind of learning experience. They're learning beyond the brick and mortar walls of the school, but, you know, learning at, at, as itself as a community um, centric activity. Yeah, that's really exciting and important work. Thank you so much, Laura. If our listeners want to get a hold of you or learn more about you and your team, where can they look? Sure. I mean, you can check out the kchlablab.org um, and we can share that in the um, links. And then you can just follow me on Twitter at Laura um, underscore McBain. All right. Thanks, Laura. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the Learning Futures Podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information and see you next time. The Learning Futures Podcast is produced at Mary Lou Fulton Teachers College at Arizona State University. Executive producers are Dr. Sean Leahy and Claire Gilbert. The show is produced by Dr. Clarine Collins and Karina Munoz-Baltazar. Audio production provided by Claire Gilbert.